truck and hit the road Our land is our home Welcome back to another episode of Our Landers Podcast. On this episode, we have a good buddy of mine and an overall creative individual. Um, if you've been following either this podcast or Easy Supplies Roaming Loss, you've probably seen us promote this or post about it at one point over the past couple weeks. And uh, I'm really proud to bring on this guest today because he is the man behind uh, behind the scenes. You'll probably meet him if you're going to Overland Expo. We'll be at PNW together, Rigs and Coffee events, Overland Swap. You'll see this guy there. Um, but he's just overall a creative guy. And to see him bring this brand to market is uh, is definitely inspiring. And it's interesting because Nomad Wheel personally sets itself apart from most of the other wheel brands out there just aesthetically and uh, branding wise too. So Without further ado, let's get Carter Kendall from Nomad Wheel Co. on this podcast and talk about navigating and building brands and uh, what future he has for Nomad Wheel Co. and how it's played into his life so far. Let's get into it. I feel like at some point, somehow we would have probably met each other, like seen each other. Yeah. We have a lot of like mutual, I don't know about mutual friends, but businesses that I've seen you build that I've definitely come across. Yeah. Yeah. I've had my hand in a, a few things Yeah, over the years. Naturally just a super creative guy, right? Yeah. A lot of startups. <laughs> Are you the king of startups? Lots of ideas. Yeah. And uh, started several things. I've heard, I've heard King of Costa Mesa before. No. I've heard it. No. But <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Actually on that point though. Yeah. Uh, you grew up in Orange County. Yeah. I grew up in Irvine. Okay. I lived in Big Bear uh-huh. for four months when I was 18. Really? Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Yep. Taught snowboard lessons on the hill. What? Yep. <laughs> Were you by yourself or did your mom move out there? No, I just went up there. I rented a room from some old mountain lady. <laughs> How old were you? I was 18. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got kicked out of my house. At 18? <laughs> at 18? Yeah. Were so. you a troublemaker? No, I just didn't want to go to college. And oh. mom was like, well, if you're not going to go to college, you can't live here. Figure it like, out. I'm going to go to Big Bear. <laughs> Start my career off right. <laughs> the craziest step forward. Yeah. And then I went on tour with a band, a Christian death metal band. I love it. For one tour. I think you played them on our way out to Expo. Oh, yeah. Heavy. They're, Heavy. Still, they're still on Spotify. They're still on Spotify underneath the gun. Ooh, okay. Yeah. yeah. If you guys want to get really pumped up. Maybe we should use that as the intro. <laughs> I don't know about no, we that. We have to pay some royalties. <laughs> People just sign off immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Too heavy for Overland. It is pretty heavy, but that's, that was crazy. Cause see, I didn't even know about Big Bear. Yeah. And we've been, we spent literally like five days together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so Big Bear was unheard of. Did you go to Big Bear for how long? Three months you said? Yeah. Just for a season. And then just you bailed. After high school. Yeah. Bailed. Yeah, it was it was trash up there. It's crazy. The people that live up there and work up there, unless they're like retired, cool old people. Totally. It's like stragglers. It's oh, in, for sure. It's intense. It is. And Snowboarding, drugs. Yeah. Bad. It's gnarly. I had a buddy move out there once when he got out of uh, high school as well. Yeah. And he just came back like a change man. He was like, that was the heaviest yeah. lifestyle I've ever lived before. Oh, yeah. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. So from Irvine to Big Bear, Big Bear back home. Yeah, back down to Orange County, uh, hopped around for a little bit and got a job working in, I always worked in skate shops growing up. Yep. And um, so kind of action sports industry and then got a job for, worked at Hurley okay. for two and a half years in Costa Mesa. That's a good job. So that was kind of how I ended up moving to Costa Mesa and then kind of put down roots there for like 10 years and had a, was a part of a few projects in Costa Mesa. Okay. Um, and yeah, right after Hurley, I got into silk screening. Yep. So opened up a small screen printing shop. Um, originally actually started in my mom's garage, uh, in Irvine for like a few months Uh and then got my first little sublet warehouse space right off Placentia across the street from Hurley actually. Okay. And then outgrew that. And then, somehow convinced this landlord <laughs> to give me this warehouse by <laughs> over by the lab and the camp. Oh, no way. Yep. Was, so you were like in the heart of Costa Mesa at that yeah, point. Yeah. I, I lived in the warehouse with like four dudes, uh-huh. um, for like two years and it was so fun. Yeah. And then 
kind of outgrew that space and then actually passed it on to a clothing brand called Seeger. Okay. And they low key lived in there and ran their brand out of there for a while. That's rad. And then I heard of, I've heard people talking about that. Yeah. So we, it's like four dudes, right? We kept that warehouse. Uh, we passed it along for probably five or six years. Okay. Friends kind of took it over. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then moved back over to the placentia side of Costa Mesa on the West side. Yeah. And, uh, got into a warehouse space with a few buddies who had some surfboard shaping stuff and yes. then some other friends that had a, like a cold brew brand. Uh huh. And we all just kind of pulled together and I had had this t-shirt that I made years prior that was kind of a joke uh-huh. called Costa Mesa Surf Club on I remember, it. I remember seeing that. Which I just kind of bit off of uh, Compton Surf Club Yep. and Oakland Surf Club. So all these kind of like surf brands were starting these sort of clubs, ironic clubs. Yeah. And so I was like, dude, we got to do them for Costa Mesa. And then my buddies uh, in, that were from Costa Mesa were like, dude, that'd be sick. So we all kind of partnered and we <laughs> just called the, the warehouse Costa Mesa Surf Club and yeah. had some extra space. And we had like a surfboard rack, boards for sale, t-shirts for sale. And it kind of like took off for a little bit. I remember it was busy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I never went, off. but I remember you guys would throw like good events there, yep. rent out the event space. Yep. Um, and then the cold brew company, was that later days or what was that? No, they were in there just kind of sharing office space okay. and just buddies that we surfed with every day. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. So we did that for like three years and, um, eventually kind of everybody parted ways and did yep. their own thing. And, um, I got out of that space and, uh, was just kind of done with screen printing. Was yeah. tired of pulling the squeegee. It's gnarly. It's a lot of work. Did you have an automated one or I did? I had a small auto press. That's sick. Which was cool, but I just got to the point where I was like, I either go big on this or shut it down. Yeah. And had some sort of mentors who had big shops and watched their experience, and I was like, I don't think it's this like, is my long term. It's pretty gnarly. You can make a lot of money in screen printing. Obviously, yeah. the margins are there. Uh, but it's really taxing on yeah. on yourself, especially if you're like a a pretty slim operation. Yeah, it's really taxing. Well, if you look at like a photographer or a tattoo artist, they can fit their entire career in a few cases that they can travel with for sure. And you know, maybe they take home seventy grand or hundred grand a year doing yeah. that to make that same take home money. I've got to have four thousand square feet and four automatic machines and a staff of ten people. You know, so yep, it's just not inks. You have to yeah. like have supplies Inks, key supplies everything. you got liability and then there's the environmental impact so you got to kind of like deal with your conscience because there is no sustainable environmentally friendly screen printing. no it just I doesn't know. exist i know so you know it's i just wasn't my thing and then i uh, was sort of shutting down shop and going through some life changes and um a, a dude who was familiar with Costa Mesa Surf Club approached me about like absorbing my business and starting a project together. And so came up with the concept for Landers. That's how that came about. Yep. Yep. So we, uh, his background was uh, apparel and fashion stuff and had a very successful company. Uh-huh. And um, he kind of wanted to do something cool in the community and start a project that he was stoked about. So we teamed up, came up with the idea and started Landers and that snowballed into like this sort of bigger business, which became still around. Yep. Still around. So kind of snowballed into like a vintage clothing store. And originally we had the print shop in the back okay. and we did our own private label line and okay. sold it out of there. And, and then, um, were you printing that? Yeah. For a while, Damn. but it just wasn't, it ended up not being realistic. Like the goal was like the brand and the retail Yeah, and the screen printing side of things. I think, it just was too hard to sell that service, you know? Yeah. And sell a brand at the same time. Totally. That's like trying to put your hands in too many things under one umbrella. Yeah. Like for me personally, trying to manage like wholesale printing and then our own line of clothing and then two brick and mortar retail concepts. It was just too much. It's a lot. Yeah. So I burnt out on that and uh, decided to kind of just pull away and do something else yeah. and just simplify and yep. But it's cool to see the concept that we came up with still going and totally kicking ass. Yeah. You, you did really well. I mean, and I only knew of Landers because every time I would drive down that street, I would see it. Yeah. Question. What is Landers? Cause it seemed like there was like, again, a lot of different areas within one store. Yeah. Coffee, clothing, you know, a restaurant or a bar. I think it was a yeah. bar. Yeah. So I just looked it up and without obviously even knowing you and that you were a part of that whole thing, which is wild to me. 
Yeah. That, I feel like that definitely gives someone, if you're listening, a good basis off of like the Orange County influence. Yeah. Um, because although Big Bear is totally not local, it is at the same time our local mountain. So mm-hmm. it's not like you dipped out to Mammoth or Colorado. Yeah. You stayed relatively local the whole time. Yeah. Which I do believe has played into a lot of who you are today. Yeah, for right? sure. I mean, I grew up in basically in the action sports world. A hundred percent. Friends and work and all that stuff, surfing and skating. And I'm glad you just brought that up too, because that's all, that's the second kind of point that I want to touch on was your background in action sports industry, because although we're here, by the way, we're in Raceline headquarters in Garden Grove. Um, Nomad just, you can tell, has a lot more inspiration of like the action sports, apparel, soft goods, design, all that stuff. Yeah. And I feel like that is a huge due to yourself and your yeah. background, right? Yeah, I think a mixture of like growing up in action sports and surf industry, uh, sort of lifestyle apparel brands, if yep. you will. Um, you know, in those industries, like, everyone's making the same stuff. stuff yeah so the only thing that differentiates you is your brand for sure and your photography and mm-hmm. who you have on your sort of roster yeah your marketing you know? yeah i mean realistically i think you brought up a good point we're on the road the other day it's like john john being a part of hurley for so long yeah people love john john so then they're like i'll buy hurley yeah right? yeah for sure it's like uh you sort of in in that world um the bar is really kind of high for branding. And so like, I think the consumer in that world is like, they don't want to put a brand on their body unless they identify with it. With the people. Yeah. So the design aesthetic, the marketing, who's backing it. Totally. And you know, brand ambassadors or influencers, whatever you want to call them, athletes. Like if you have the right people on board, like that sort of fast tracks you into the consumer giving you permission and being like, I'll yeah. get on board with that. Give him like the, the okay almost, huh? Yeah. When you're working at Hurley. Yeah. When I would work at Hurley, like were you retail or were you, I was retail. Yeah, oh, I, was really? I was like 20, 21. Okay. So I didn't know if, yeah, but retail gives you so many good life lessons. Dude. Yeah. Well, we had like the, it was like the employee store. Okay. So it was on campus Okay. At, at corporate. So it wasn't like in the normal stores. Yep. It was just like for, employees and staff and the industry people to come in. So mm-hmm. I worked with all the corporate people. So when I was like a little 21 year old kid, just meeting everyone. Yeah. Just networking <laughs> and just like, so important. You see someone important walk in and they come in with an athlete and it's like, Oh, I need to talk to that person. Yeah. And years later, that's how I've gotten most of my jobs. It's like, really? Yeah. It's like old screen printing clients or people I met in the employee store at Hurley or, yeah. you know, just always like when you see somebody, that you like are jealous of their job, you know, and they're older than you. It's yeah. just like, make sure I like make friends with that person and, and stay not, friends. And if stay friends, but also just like introduce yourself. Yeah. And I also feel like the first time I met you too, I feel like it was, it felt like I knew you just because you had, don't have a weird barrier to your personality, you know? I think it depends on what day you catch me. <laughs> I mean, I know you now <laughs> definitely need like a cup of coffee or, yeah. or a good night's rest before you start messing with Carter. Yeah. I'm like an introvert until I'm not. And then I'm extroverted. So like, I guess you're an introvert, huh? Yeah. Like I have to turn it on sometimes like yeah. at shows and stuff to talk to strangers. I, <laughs> it takes a little more effort for me. I'm not like a sales guy where I'm like, 20 bucks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you think? Am I an extrovert or introvert? You're an extrovert. 100%. <laughs> I'll talk to anybody. You, dude. you could sell a set of wheels to a tree. <laughs> Just like, yo, you got 20 bucks on you. The tree for some reason gives you 20 you're bucks. Like dude, two and a half inch level kit. And these thirty fives, <laughs> you're set. <laughs> I love that dude. <laughs> That's like, I remember back in high school and I, this is going to be the next point though. It's like, that's everyone. If you were lucky enough to get your first car or SUV, if you, yeah. you know, if that's what your first truck was, immediately you would go and get 2.5 inch level kit on the front. Yeah. Some nice rims at yeah. the time, you know, depending on what brand you're running and then 33s. And you're like, dude, I have the sickest truck. Yeah. You know, that was all you needed to have like that sick truck. Yeah. It's so funny to see everything. Like as we grow older, Yeah. how much more shit there is out there. I don't know. I had a 97 Jeep Grand Cherokee with, <laughs> with bald ass tires. Did you? Yeah. Was that your first rig? Yeah. There was no rims going on my cars. Is that when you started at Nomad, obviously you just had such a diverse portfolio of builds. 
because when I first saw your Instagram, I was going back and I'm like, geez, you've been through at least like eight different builds over your last like five, eight years. Yeah. Um, so out of, let's want to, I'd be stoked if you just like ran yeah. down the line and Run see what you them. had. Most of them were almost 100% stock. Really? Yeah. Aside from some like takeoff wheels from some rich dude's car. <laughs> okay. For like 50% tread left. <laughs> like that's so, okay. So from the top I had a 97 Jeep Grand Cherokee was my first car. Okay. And then I got a 2002 like Ford Ranger two wheel drive with like some pro comp wheels. Sick. That was, I guess like kind of sick back yeah, then. Yeah, it's easy. Um, that's the one that, you probably took the big bear. That's right? why I had big bear. <laughs> yeah, such a big bear truck. But it was, it was worthless. Yeah. I had to fill the entire bed with snow just to be able to like drive into the driveway. Cause I couldn't hook up on. Whoa. Cause they're so lightweight. I didn't even think about so, that. Yeah. So we would just fill them in the winter. Once it snowed, you just fill your whole bed up with snow and leave it in there as long as you could. Just so you have traction on the back. Yeah. Or sandbags. That's crazy. Okay. So you had a Ranger with Ranger. Sick pro comps. Yep. And then I got into Subaru life. You did have yep. a Subi? I had an Impreza Outback Sport. Damn. And that's... You're bougie. Because after Big Bear, I was like, I need a Subaru with yeah. six snowboard racks. Yeah. And that thing handled... Oh, big time. ...in the snow. Uh-huh. And then, let's see. What did I have after that? And then I sold that. And then I had a 75 Toyota long bed low rider with moon discs whoa i don't think i saw moon, that moon eyes hubcaps Ooh, that's kind of butter yeah that thing was sick slammed slammed what what color matte uh like the like the puke green okay yeah like that kind of old like school pea soup green <laughs> okay puke green is pretty gnarly but yeah i know what you're getting that it's ugly <laughs> so bad with so the moon eyes yellow like the little no moon. the the like spun aluminum whoa yeah, they cover the whole wheel. Okay. Aerodynamic. So sick. Yeah. Okay, so that and at that point you were Hurley or no Hurley anymore? Yeah, that was Hurley days. Wow. You yeah. were driving a, a sick whip at Hurley. Yeah. Yeah. And then um and then I got a first gen Tacoma. <laughs> Tacoma life. Regular cab, okay. stick shift, uh four cylinder. Okay. Just stock. Yep. Um all terrain tires, totally stock with a camper shell. Sick. I was like very um squirrel concepts yeah i love it that was my vibe everyone like, was i mean it's the best vibe to be yeah stock with the high top camper shell yep and just put literally a, a piece of plywood across the wheel well with some two by four frame and slept in the back you can't say you didn't have bad memories in that truck that was one of my best platforms ever okay here we go because <laughs> <laughs> dude it's so funny because we get you are now in this world yeah. that I've been trying to navigate as like yeah. a simpler guy. And it's like, there is no limit. Yeah. But the best memories I have are when my truck was like Simple. at its simplest point. Yeah. The only thing I will say is like the bummer about that setup was four cylinder manual. Yeah. That's hard. I put my dirt bike on a hitch carrier. Oh, wow. And bottom out the rear end and was going like 40 miles an hour <laughs> up every hill <laughs> going to 395 like yeah 55 miles so an hour that wasn't that chill but uh i think if i had modified that vehicle a little more maybe yeah you know some airbags and yeah some suspension stuff it would have been even better but um but yeah that was that was the dopest car so i sold it first gen yeah and i sold it for seventy five hundred dollars it had one hundred and thirty thousand miles on it damn yeah biggest regret of my life that's well who'd you sell it to like a homie some yeah some surfer kid yeah whatever. he still has it he does yeah because yeah, that thing's gonna last him forever still has the stickers on it jesus today. okay so you went from your tacoma life did you go into the f-150 next tacoma f-150 2004 Let's go. yeah 2004 fx4 was that your favorite truck uh i loved it yes it was the access cab uh-huh which was like more than it felt like more space than a Tacoma double cab. Okay. Um, crappy level kit, mm -hmm. like Rancho shocks, I think. Yeah. And then I just put Raptor takeoff wheels and tires on it. I saw that Firestone airbags in the back mm -hmm. and then tossed a four wheel camper Hawk. You had a four wheel on that thing. Yeah. Shell model. Oh, no way. So that was my favorite luxury setup. Okay. Cause for it's sure. a four at four by right. Four wheel drive. Good trim, tires level. You mean even the, you almost you almost have the truck that I currently have, except it was four wheel drive with a nicer camper shell. Yeah, yeah. The truck was 
completely clapped out. Like was I didn't it? know much about trucks back uh-huh. then and I got a good deal on it, but like everything was blown out like, on that truck. You name it, there is something with it. Yeah. Bad. So I got rid of that. Um, the four wheel camper life was really cool. It's rad. Like I, you know, with a full camper, like I couldn't go fast, uh-huh. especially without good suspension. Mm-hmm. But man, just to like drive out and go on a forest road and go camp somewhere remote, like most comfortable setup ever. Beds in the, is it go over the cab? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you sleep sideways and then you've got the entire camper pretty much open. Is that what our buddy Greg has? Yes. Okay. But he, his is built. Mine was just a shell model. So oh, sick. Basically just had like little like benches over the wheel wells and that was it. Just I'll empty. take it. I love that. You could fill that thing up with so much gear. That's, that's awesome. But, um, yeah. And then sold that uh-huh. camper and sold the truck. Okay. Separately. Yep. And then I was driving in Long Beach. Okay. And I drove by a Ford dealer. Uh-huh. And I saw a crew cab F-150 <laughs> okay. XLT uh-huh. with a freaking flip pack. Oh, that's that was my favorite truck. I'm sorry. I know so, exactly which one you're talking about. 100% stock F-150. Uh-huh. Like, looked brand new. It was a 2010. Uh-huh. And this was probably six years ago, seven okay. years ago. Okay. Um, and it had this flip pack opened up. But like the supports that go to your hood mm-hmm. weren't even set up. Okay. So it looked like these guys at the dealership like did not know well, how to work this thing. Totally. And they didn't even know that it had a hand crank to open it. Uh-huh. They just said they're like, oh yeah, we had like five dudes like push it open, flip this thing open. <laughs> I don't really know what it is, but yeah. And so the blue book on the truck was twenty one grand. Uh huh. It had thirty thousand miles on it. Brand new. It was XLT but it was outfitted with every single towing and off-road option you could put on an XLT. <laughs> okay. Uh, Blue Book was 21 grand. They were selling it for 21 grand and what? it had like a f- mint condition, like probably $4,500 flip pack. 21? Yeah. And you just saw it randomly driving through Long Beach. Yeah, just on the corner parked. You're so pumped. So I, I bought that truck, financed it. Uh, first car I've ever financed. Um, and yeah, you love that thing. Loved huh? it. I put Kings on it with, uh, adjusters and some Raptor wheels and tires. Wow. And I took that thing off roading and like, I had friends who were like at the time were very experienced off road dudes. Uh huh. And they were like, this is the sickest setup. Yeah. They're like, your, your, your drivetrain is not fast enough to keep up with Raptors. But in any like slower obstacle stuff, you're chilling. You can keep up with totally a sixty thousand, seventy, eighty thousand dollar truck. Yep. Because um, the EcoBoost wasn't out just yet. No, it was a V8. Oh, it was a V8 as mm-hmm. well. Okay, so that's yeah. so you had power. You had the suspension running from the from the Kings. Yep. Um, it was newer. It was newer with the nicer trim level. So you were super, super comfortable. Oh yeah. And although people think it's a full size truck, it's really not that big of a truck. No. It's like, not that much bigger than a new Tacoma. Exactly. You're, you're going through all the trails you want. You're yeah. super comfortable and you're camping in a flip pack, which is like, I love those things. Oh my They're so hard to find. Yeah. Best, I don't even think they make them anymore. Best design ever. No, they went out of business. <sighs> Such a bummer. And like held on to their designs. So no, oh, they did. Yeah. I don't, I think people have tried to make them over and over again. Yeah. I mean, AT makes something fairly similar. I think AT tried to revive it. Really? But then just went aluminum instead of trying to get the molds for the fiberglass. Yeah, the fiberglass. I mean, I'd probably just go aluminum at that point as yeah. well. You There's only two. two more. Yeah. Oh, really? First gen to come with a GFC. Had that. That was sick. Damn, that's overland as hell. Um, but the truck was pretty clapped out. <laughs> okay. Sold the GFC to my buddy, Uh-huh. which I loved the GFC, but sold the GFC to my buddy for a bunch of money and then sold, traded the truck, uh-huh. first gen Tacoma, traded it for a first gen Dodge Cummins diesel. That was like iconic. Yeah. And that thing had a sick fifties gem top camper on it. Sick. Drove that thing cross country on like a month and a half road trip. What? So much fun. So much power. Coolest truck I've ever owned by far. So I think I've seen that one. Yeah. And I got back from that and sold the truck for 13 grand plus a Mercedes turbo diesel wagon Uh on trade. So I ended up making out like, big time on that like <laughs> made a bunch of money uh-huh. and and then i bought the 82 first gen pickup i don't remember that one the white white first gen stick shift 
Yeah, I don't know. I got to look back on that one. Yes. And then sold that to a buddy. Uh huh. And now I have your GX, right? <laughs> GX 470, the most random. <laughs> yeah, that's out of all the trucks, I feel like. I yeah. mean, it's rad because there's so much aftermarket support on that yeah. thing, and it looks great. It was the only four by, it was the only modern four by four vehicle that I could afford. Totally. Now. Yeah. Outright. Yeah. yeah. And the good part is, I think after people started taking those GXs, and building them out because it's it's isn't it body on frame you'll have to ask the pros about that one <laughs> but i think there's still like, i think there's a, like a truck there's a frame and there's a body i know that <laughs> there's a torque <laughs> no i know i think that's yeah there's there's body mounts yeah that thing for sure <laughs> has gotten way more popular and more expensive yeah so because well, everyone's like oh it's a land cruiser overseas exactly so yeah that, that made up for the like how ugly and it's also just a Lexus. The you know? soccer mom vibes. Big time. But that's cool. And that's when you've you've had that GX for a little bit over right, like eight months. Yeah. Just yeah. about. Yeah. Um, but going back to it, what was... Okay, you said the Cummins was your favorite? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just based off of comfort and... I just up. felt so American. You Yeah, you, <laughs> did, you had the look going for sure. I just... My trucker hat. <laughs> I'm just out there with the semis on the highway. Did you live in Costa Mesa at the time? Where did I live? No, I was in LA. And now you're able to find parking to move that thing around? Because it was a pretty big truck. Yeah. I had a driveway okay. to park it in. Okay. Yeah. I feel real American. Yeah, just patriotic. <laughs> Do you follow that guy on Instagram? Um, uh, Probably not. Bailey Bailey Image is what he goes by. He's up. He's a. Oh uh, yeah, or, yeah. Brandon Haley. Brandon Haley. Does, yeah. did, doesn't he have that truck too now? I think so. I think he. Yeah. It looks amazing. Um, I don't know if his. Is a, he might have a. D one. I don't know. But I don't yes, know. Same something style. similar. Like a yeah. farm truck. It's farm truck. Big yeah. time. But he. Yeah. He drives the thing everywhere, and it handles just fine. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So first vehicles feel like you definitely covered a lot of bases yeah, there that was you a had, great podcast you had the tacoma yeah i know that's it we're ending it here <laughs> goodbye carter great no no mad wheels we don't even care about it anymore <laughs> okay um so even when you were doing all that stuff you still weren't really heavily invested into like the aftermarket support right like no. aftermarket wheels you did mention kings you did know what a flip pack was but yeah. you weren't out there always trying to modify your car no the only aftermarket stuff i ever did was Something to sleep in yep. and something to be able to go faster yep. off-road comfortably. And you always identified with those vehicles too, huh? Yeah. Like that's a that's a big part. I feel like a lot of people that own cars, trucks or whatever, it's just because it was there. Yeah. But I think you and I and a lot of people in our industry understand that like your vehicle is a straight, if it's, you, you identify with what you're driving. Yeah. That's how sure. it goes, you know? And when was your, so when you started getting into uh, the Kings, the trucks, all this stuff. You said you did go camping, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been, been going like it started with honestly dirt biking. Really? Yeah. So Sick. like we, me and my buddies all got into riding dirt bikes and we'd go out for the day and stuff sometimes, but like we started doing these weekend trips uh -huh. where we would go find these riding spots and like the staging areas or we go camp um, because it'd be far away. So it's like, oh, we're going to go dirt biking in Mammoth for three days. Yep. So we'd camp in these cool zones. Yeah. So that, that's kind of what got me into off-roading was like getting out to the campsite. For sure. To go dirt biking. Yeah. It wasn't and considered then, overland. It was just off-roading to go camping. Yeah, exactly. So never never took the truck purposefully on off-road trails yeah. for the sake of off-roading. For sure. It was like, we got these coordinates or this spot. Yeah. We need to get to it. Yeah. So like you need four wheel drive for sure. So that was kind of, that was it. I love that though. That's like the most, that's the purest form of like getting into off-roading and why it's important when you're going camping. It's like your truck. Only, we, we did our trucks in the beginning because it got us into those rad yeah. locations. Yeah. But I wasn't very big on that either. Like I didn't take my truck and want to go hit a sick trail. Yeah. We talked about that. You and I both ride motos and it's like, I'd rather take my motorcycle or yeah. dirt bike out and like go send it for sure. And then come back to a comfy base camp. Yeah. And this is probably partially out of ignorance. I just haven't experienced it properly yet, mm -hmm. but like going slow over technical obstacles that, yeah. to me is like not that exciting. So I'm like, shit, I need to drive this car to work on Tuesday. Yeah. So like if I hammer it on yeah. this crazy drop off, like I don't have the money to fix it for sure. So yeah. So like for me, um, 
a technical section comes up on a trail and I'm more like, God damn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you got to slow down. I love that. But like dude. you said, like I'd look, I'd rather like remember where that was and be like, Oh, let's go hit that on the dirt bikes for sure. Cause then you're just, you're, that's the point of the dirt bike. All adrenaline. It and it's really fun. And they, if they fall and break, they're easy to pick back up and they yeah. usually start again. Yeah. When you, when I slam my truck, I'm just, I hear like my wallet screeching. Yeah. I had, I did that the other day or not the this last trip to Anza Borrego. And I'm with like two fully built out Tacomas, yeah. full long travel Kings, a whole, all the bolt on gadgets and shit. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I smacked my rear diff and I, in my head, I'm like, get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was up in, um, above Bishop in the buttermilks mm. and we were looking for a trailhead for a hike. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were looking for a trailhead for a hike and the, the, the road up to it was pretty, pretty not, gnarly. Not gnarly, but like for a relatively stock Tacoma, it was kind of like an older one. It was kind of like a little intimidating. Uh huh. And we got to the trailhead and I was just like feeling like super badass. Like, okay. Oh, we did it and got through it. Full we were in four wheel drive. Yeah. And we get to the trailhead and there's a two wheel drive Nissan Armada on 20 inch <laughs> rims that just went up the same trail. And oh, I was man. like defeated. Yeah, it's just like real. You know, you have those reality checks, or you totally. you see Honda Civics coming back down yeah. when you're on your way up, and it's like, or you could go a whole weekend and never even need to touch four wheel drive. Yeah, it's kind of just like okay, like this is a little cosplay. Yeah, or it's a hundred percent, and then you yeah. have like everyone's on their mics, like yeah. watch your left, watch your left, and the, yeah, and behind you there's just a Kia Soul, just like yeah, you that know? Kia Soul is not watching his left. <laughs> no, he's going full <laughs> send is what he's doing. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. So the, that whole time, I feel like you were, you like you mentioned your background, you were like screen printing, either working at Hurley, doing Costa Mesa Surf Club, Landers. So during this whole kind of transition of brand to brand, building to building, you were still obviously doing these weekend trips with sick, sick trucks, fairly sick builds, good friends that did it with you, dirt yeah. bikes. Um, so did you ever feel like, did you, you did a lot of surf and action sports, mm -hmm. but you never really touched in any outdoor realm right not really like a camping brand or no off-roading you never really touched it huh no it was no. just your lifestyle but kind of a part of your actual day-to-day -day. yeah never even had good camping gear to be really? honest it was like a cast iron skillet and then like you know it gets it done though. really crappy like just paper towels and like <laughs> spatulas from the kitchen that you just destroy <laughs> you buy a new one at yeah. lawns yeah you know? yeah that's cool so yeah. the, the brand building Always there. Yeah. You're always doing branding, always doing, you do graphic design, right? A little bit. Yeah. Through screen printing and running your own business, you just kind of have to learn how to do all of it. Yep. So like, yeah, just got like semi-decent at a lot of different things. Yep. Never really specialized. Yep. But could pull it off. Sick. And so that would give you a lot of, you probably saw a lot of brands coming in and out too during that whole, uh, that whole period of silk screening, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I did a lot of small runs for bigger brands when their print shops were jammed up. Yeah. And you know, I didn't, it's funny cause when we started, we started off pretty quick and I've known you for quite some time now. So I, it's, it's really rare that I was like, this is so-and-so and his title is this. Yeah. But for Nomad Wheels, I would consider you almost like brand and marketing officer. Like you are yeah. literally spearheading any type of visual that's yeah. going out. Yeah, I mean, we have obviously people on the back end that do all the wheel design. For sure. Production, like purchasing, planning, all that stuff. Yeah. Logistics, um, even like web back end stuff. So, um, but anything that's like outward facing, um, I oversee. So yeah. social media, digital ads, photo, events. video, events, partnerships, yep. um, graphic design, Instagram, just anything, like you said, fa facing, facing yeah. outward is, is your, is apparel your... design, hats, t-shirts, stickers, like vendors, yep. printing material, all which, of it. Email blasts. Email blasts are you? Yep. I mean, we have a, like people in-house that help make it happen and get it out there, but yeah, I oversee all the end product. Yeah. That's uh, but that's, that's why it's awesome that you've done so much in your past already. And it's just like kind of fed into what you're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been through this process many a few times, times, many times. So I, I know kind of how to do it on a 
shoestring budget yeah and get it done with one person which, which is, is crazy because now i mean that's that's always a really fun goal is like if you don't have to have a shoestring budget but you just have that gritty mentality yeah you can get a lot done if you have any type of budget right? yeah like yeah because like for nomad with the branding a lot of people at, at like overland expo were asking questions about that and um you know, like a lot of companies would just go hire a design agency for or a creative sure. agency and just A to Z handle it for you and you just give feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, for me though, like it's, you know, taking inspiration from stuff I've collected over the years and brands I've been associated with and yeah. projects and then um, like hiring a graphic design person to just do the illustrations. Yeah. And like, you know, they give me the illustrations. I made my actual own font with my own magical wizardry that I use. You taught me that. Taught you that. I haven't used it yet, but I'm really <laughs> excited too. So then I take illustrations and fonts and then essentially merchandise it into a whole like cohesive brand package. That is literally branding. Yeah. But I don't actually draw the stuff myself. Yeah. I, I never got good at that. I wish I was better at illustration, but at the same time, it's like, and you, you know this, you try to do so much and you, it's great to have a lot of abilities to do a lot, but to say like, I'm only going to be an amazing illustrator. Yeah. That's a lot of work. Yeah. If I had that skill set, I would, that's what I would do. Yeah. Full time. Illustration is so sick. Yeah. Um, well that's a cool, I mean, that's, that plays into kind of this whole story. What we're talking about today is just like how your background has fed into what nomads doing. And honestly for, for you and I, you know, I've been a part of, this family here for, I don't know, maybe a little bit over two years now. And I remember telling you that not until a nomad has entered the picture, I just feel like I can really relate to a brand and feel like, like you said, put a t-shirt on it. It feels like yeah. something I can relate to as a person and as, as easy supplies or our landers, you know? Yeah. And is that, that's kind of how you feel too, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm big on like, not producing something unless it's something that I would wear, Yeah, you know? And like, I don't like to just make stuff just to blast it out there. And, you know, coming from apparel background, like I'm very familiar with the real world of what happens to things that you make. Like they all have, they go through the supply chain of, or the the food chain. And eventually at the bottom of it is these massive pits of material. Totally. Um, so yeah, so I'm very conscious of that. So like if we're going to make t-shirts, we're going to make expensive, good quality t-shirts that, that are similar to what you would have in a surf brand for sure. That someone would want to buy in a store. Yeah. I think that was, that's a big talking point too, is that, um, it's so hard because our industry is so focused on the product itself. Yeah. Apparel obviously doesn't really carry these brands. No. But it's it, there's no real reason to like not make dope graphics and a great fitting t-shirt. If if you can, you should, right? Yeah. Most people, it's just the last the thing last. they think about. Hey, let's run like 80 t-shirts for this event and just give them out. Yeah. And then you, most of them end up just like rags or something, you yeah. know? Yeah. But in Nomad, I remember we at Expo, you and I were like just chilling and I was just on the kind of like outsider looking in. People were like, wow, like, are you get like this? You guys are making these these crew necks, you know, or these t-shirts, just like unexpected. That why why are you guys making such good clothing? Are you guys a clothing brand too? You're like no, yeah, but you have the background of it for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so after you having was Overland Expo your first real Overland thing? Yeah. Uh, aside from like OC Yoda nights. Oh yeah, you did go to that. I've uh, been to a few of those. Um, yeah, I would say that's my first like industry experience. Yeah, how did you kind of got like a real sense of that? I mean, right there was like the sense of exactly what the industry is. Right? Yeah, yeah, and I've I've always you know obviously been aware of it as I get got more and more into modifying vehicles for off roading. Like I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, social media. Yep. Um, but yeah, this is my first like first hand experience with it for sure. And after being there and seeing how like. I remember seeing it over the couple of years and it's grown every, every single event that at that location just seems to have grown. Yeah. Um, you are bringing this new wheel brand in and it's something that people obviously are gravitating to. Like we both saw it. They just walked by and like, I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm down to associate myself with that. Where do you personally see the overland industry kind of heading into you? Do you consider it still sticking to, you know, the, the bead locked wheels and the, 
the accessories market or do you see it kind of simplifying into that Land Cruiser, cool, traditional styling, old school aesthetic? As far as Nomad goes or uh, the industry as a whole? The industry as a whole. Oh man. <clears throat> it's a, it's a pretty loaded one, but just your personal opinion on it. I think it will just, I think that the young people who got in their pickups and yeah. went camping yeah. made it cool. And then I think like everything else, when sort of mainstream market gets a hold of something that is trendy and cool, yeah, they then blow it up, right? And money gets involved and it becomes a little industry. Um, and so, you know, like I have so many opinions on <laughs> the industry and overlanding in general, but the positive side of it is you've got a whole industry that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. The industry that was there before was like fake beadlock wheels and massive lift kits, yep. like non-practical off-road accessories. Sane and sport show style. Yeah. And so now you have an industry that whether you think it's unnecessary gear or not, mm -hmm. it all does serve a purpose for sure. And it all does make your experience can be, can make your experience more enjoyable. Yep. So if you put an awning on the side of your truck, yep. you've now got shade that you don't have to fumble around with and shove it in the back of your truck. Like it's, it's there when you need it. Yep. So that's what I, I like about all these different accessories and things. And do you need all of it? No, but yeah. if you don't need it, don't buy it. Exactly. You know, like yeah. let the dudes that nerd out on it, buy it. Yep. And that money goes to that small business owner and supports their family and career. And that wouldn't have been there before. Yeah. You know, so I don't, I don't like to knock it too hard and, it's fun to like joke around about it and make fun of like rich dudes that, you know, have $150,000 Tacomas <laughs> yeah. um, that literally will go the same places that, you know, a stock one will, <laughs> but they're stoked. Yeah. Like I know. it makes them feel good. It makes them happy. And yeah. they're part of this community now and they have yeah. these nerdy online friends and they go meet up and yeah. stare at each It's like any other car scene. It's literally a car scene. But what other car scene do you see where the modifications that they're doing yeah. actually serve a purpose other than clout and looks? Yep. Like, you know? Yeah. That's why I think it's, it's rad. The accessories is obviously they're very expensive and it, to a lot of people, it is an expensive hobby, but it, it they all serve some form of a purpose. Yeah. And I also love the fact that if you take any of those items off, a lot of them can be transferred between yeah. vehicle to vehicle, whether it's For like sure. a roto pack or a light or a rack, yeah. you know? And usually they're well-made versus like we were talking earlier about like companies that are pumping out t-shirts or whatever type of apparel. They're just there to blow stuff out yeah. without a really a, a, an angle for these products. Yeah. Mass production. So I, I, I do appreciate what a lot of industry people that especially like our friends or people that I've met over the years, they like put so much emphasis on like the quality of the build that you don't need to go buy a drawer system every two years. Yeah. That one drawer system should live with the whole vehicle lifespan. For sure. Which is yeah. rad. It's just yeah. expensive. So <laughs> once you're getting into it, like, yeah. that's everyone's like, like, how much is this awning? Totally. <laughs> yeah. And I would say like as a wheel company, yeah. you know, we are one of hundreds of accessories you could put on your vehicle. For sure. Um, but I don't know. Like I, I think that the overland scene and community is is silly, but it's really cool yeah. too. And like, I think that what it does for off-roading in general mm -hmm. is it creates an entry point into the off-road industry and market and community for people that otherwise would have probably felt uncomfortable, Yep. you know? So yeah. it's like tough dude off-road trucks is probably not the scene that like some of our lady friends would have been like comfortable entering into. Yeah. And so I look at it like the accessories and our wheels and whatever else gear you're into. Like I look at it as like a common thread that kind of weaves through all these different people yeah. with different hobbies. And like, this is getting a little bit more macro and kind of cheese ball, but like <laughs> Let's hear it. during a crazy generation where we've got all this stuff we disagree on. <laughs> no, no, this is good. This is good. The one thing that we have in common is we're all obsessed with modifying our vehicles yeah. to get us out to enjoying the hobbies that we love. For sure. So whether you're rock climbing or you're surfing. mudding or surfing yeah. or rock crawling yeah. or hunting yep. or bird watching yeah. or whatever you're into. Yeah. Like you want to take your car out and either put a set of wheels to make it look cooler or 
lighter weight or you want to put a fridge and you know an awning whatever you want to do to your car yeah you're modifying it to get out there and enjoy something that you love yep and you share that same desire as like someone who might be polar opposite of you in every other way for sure Arlanders, in the world of faux beadlock and gold everything, these wheels are here to complement your build, not distract from it. Coming summer 2022, we are going to be doing a lot of things with this up and coming brand. They have a really clean and rad uh, lineup coming out here soon. It's vintage inspiration. Um, it's classic aesthetic. It's very minimalist. It's built for adventure through utilitarian design. Kingston, are you ready for these? I think I'm ready. Nomad wheels, get ready. They're coming soon. Cool. It's it's a it's a common thread. Yeah. Right. I, and like, don't call it overlanding if you don't want to. That's what I'm saying. I feel like people always dog on the like that term, but it's like then you can call it car camping, call it off roading, yeah. call it whatever you want. But at the same time, every industry needs to have some form of a name. Yeah. You can't call it the car camping industry. You call it the overlanding industry. Yeah, I've coined my own. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. I want to, I want to get into that, but, um, yeah, you know, what's really cool is I think when you go to this expo and you go to like these events or whatever, it's like, you can have a Grom, like an 18 year old with his dad. That's like, dude, check this out. Yeah. And then you can have like the 85 year old man that's retired and wants, and he's like, I can finally buy myself this Subaru even, you know, or like, or the baller from, Utah buying earth roamer or you just have the people like you and I where we're just working day to day and we're like I'm down to go check out what's new you know maybe maybe put some stuff if I can afford it but you're you're hitting such a crazy demographic there's not necessarily one person but they're all very interested in outfitting the rig for a certain purpose yeah which is freaking rad I love that yeah I think it's cool and you know if you don't think it's cool just call it something else yeah call it a Dirt. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, everyone should get quiet. Should I plug it? All right. Ready? Okay. Let's hear it. What is it? Off-road vehicle-based exploration. <gasps> <laughs> That's a... Uh, I mean, isn't that literally what the term overlanding is supposed to be? Right? Off-road vehicle-based uh, exploration. Yeah. But exploration could be for three hours in local hills or could be 10 weeks transcontinental travel. Yeah. Which is what overlanding typically would refer to i think overlanding sounds dope imagine if surfing wasn't a term for the industry what would you call it wave riding that's kind of sick wave riding industry a wave rider then you just have sups and belly boards and all that stuff yeah or it's like like water waterman water woman i like waterman i think waterman is cool or like it reminds me of quicksilver the orange label but i like it yeah um, okay. Another really crazy part about this industry is the term sponsored. Everyone wants to be sponsored. Yeah. Everyone wants free shit. And, uh, I mean, I've just started getting into it, you know, like I don't, I don't consider myself sponsored by Nomad. I am a partner with Nomad and I, I love repping your guys' stuff and at, like just being a part of this family. But if a kid or a man or a woman were to come to you, and say, hey, I want to be sponsored by Nomad. I identify like crazy with them. What would be, as a as a guy who you are that's spearheading Nomad, what would be like some qualifications that you look for if someone's trying to get sponsored? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know that we're going to do a ton uh-huh. of like sponsorship stuff, mm-hmm. but what I look for personally mm-hmm. is is... You know, it's more than someone who has a big Instagram account. Um, I like to partner with people that do stuff. So whether it's like they are into overlanding or off-roading or car camping, whatever, but they're also like a photographer or a fabricator or like their storytelling parts. Mm-hmm. So I usually look to partner with people where like I can tell stories beyond just their Instagram the, handle. The typical. Yeah. And so I look for unique people and and... It's, you know, because I'm in the position I'm in, it's, it's oftentimes people that, that I like personally mm-hmm. that want to back, you know? Mm-hmm. And then as a, from the brand perspective, I, I definitely consider like, how can I, you know, tell the story of this person and, and turn it into more of like a long-term partnership yeah. and generate campaigns out of it. And like, you know, I have my buddy, Greg Boydston, who's a former hotshot firefighter. He's a great dude who just happens to have a cool Tacoma and a four wheel camper. Yeah. Um, he's just like this massive abundance of stories. So, 
you know, that's somebody I look at where I'm like, I want to tell that story. I want to talk about wildfires. Totally. I want to talk about his experiences out there firefighting and, you know, sleeping, living off of a backpack for two weeks at a time yeah. in a fire zone. Yeah. Like, so that's kind of, you know, it's more about the person and what they do outside of uh, this industry, the industry and, yeah. and, you know, and the fact that they use their truck for whatever it is they use it for is yeah. sort of secondary. I can, I think that's a great point. It's the storytelling factor. And also like, if you think of the word sponsored, people usually think, let me just get a pair of free wheels and yeah, make some posts for it. But I feel like that's when you fall short to yeah. what the brand is actually looking for. Yeah. And depending on if a brand has a budget, they're just giving away wheels here and there. Yeah, it's you know? easy. It's easy for a big brand to give product and, just and dish it. say someone sponsored. Yeah. But like, I, I'm not going to work with anybody that's not stoked yeah. to, to have our wheels. Like I want people that have all the, you know, stuff I just talked about, but also they see our wheels and they're like, dang, I want those on my truck. Yep. Like, why would I, you know? I'm not, I don't need to pay someone to run something that they don't like. Totally. That's just, if it's not an item that you would want on your vehicle yeah, or something you've, you've wanted for a while and you are like a brand ambassador type of person yeah, and that's what you do, uh, you're just not going to authentically promote it, it, you know, like unless you're getting paid a ton of money, but like, I don't know. It just feels gross to me. It's like a weird transaction. I, I, another thing too is like, the moment you see someone post a wheel picture and they're like, this is like the wheel I'm running. You're just like, oh, okay, you got them for free, yeah. you know? But if, if for some reason, like, let's just say I'm running the F-150, you know, and we just throw Nomads on there, but I never announce it. And then all of a sudden people are like, hey, what wheels are you running now? It's like, oh, these are my Nomads. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather see posts like that where it just organically comes out. Like Greg all of a sudden is not running those, the 501s. Yeah. And we're just without even really announcing it. That's way more organic in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I'm not into like the cheesy product placement stuff, <laughs> but you have to do it. Yeah, sometimes, you know? like, for sure. We're still a social media driven brand, driven uh, industry and brand. So like you have to get exposure and get it out there and that's yeah. a, that's a fast way to do it. And, you know, but there's so many great people to work with. For sure. So there's no need to work with people that, that don't want your product. For sure. And, and, you know with the caveat that like there are people who've worked really hard at building their influence and there is monetary value there for sure. And so I'm not saying that like a brand ambassador or an influencer in the space should not be compensated beyond just free product. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't ever want someone to think that I am just like, here's a set of wheels and and give me three months worth of work for sure, you know, for these wheels. I don't expect that either, but you have to have the common ground of like, they have to like your product and be stoked on it. Yeah. And, and, would have wanted to run it even if you weren't sponsoring them. Yeah. And then whatever the monetary thing is on the back end, that, that, you know, is sort of irrelevant, but if it's just pay to play, it's, it's not authentic. I think people can see that. Yeah. Man, I think that's a great point, dude. That's uh, that's, that's just the name of the game that we're playing in now with Instagram and followings and people have worked a lot to build their following and and it's some form of a culture behind what they're doing. Um, but it just has to f- come off like real, you yeah. know, 100% real. Well, and, and it has to be real, yeah. not just come off as real. Yeah. Like, uh, they, the, yeah, that's a great you know point I mean? right there. So if it's real, if they like the wheels and they run them and they're stoked on them yep. and we're supporting them with whatever agreement we have based mm-hmm. on whatever, you know, influence and what they're Content, doing. Yeah. Story some people like we'll be a brand ambassador, but we'll give them wheels, but we'll also hire them you know, to, to actually shoot photos. Yeah, we're talking about that. Yeah. Not me, but I'm saying like to go on a trip and yeah. bring out easy and bring out Colfax and yeah. do all this stuff together, but so, we would have to hire someone to come with us. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, yeah, maybe I'm just giving you wheels, but I'm also going to hire you and pay you your, your normal rate for sure to do the shoot for us yeah. as a professional photographer. Yep. So that's another way that I can support you as a brand ambassador without just, you know, cutting a check or whatever. And saying like, Hey, give me three posts and yeah. we'll call it good. Yeah. You know? So that's why I like to work with people that have other things to offer than just Instagram followers. Yeah. Is cause it just, it just, it yeah, feels more authentic and, and I you can support them in other ways. I feel like since you're launched already, you have like a pretty good diverse circle around you of supporters, you know, as you grow, you're going to get bigger and bigger names. But I feel like as you launched, you already had like a good support system, which is awesome. Yeah. People have, have been stoked on the, I think, you know, that's what I'm really fortunate by with is that like, 
the wheel designs speak for themselves. Yeah. And the only part I played was like offering some feedback to color and yeah. finishes, but like the wheel designs themselves are already so cool yeah. and different for the scene that a lot of the brand ambassadors that I've started to work with off the bat, uh-huh. like I've been like, we've had to push back so many times on timeline. I have guys that I've been talking to for like eight months who still don't have a set of wheels <laughs> who have turned down other wheel brands waiting because they like the product exactly. and the design. Yeah. I mean, that's what we've, I've always been talking to the guys here and we're like, you need to wait. Cause I was like, I want to do something, but it just didn't feel right. And I'm like, it's all time. Like seeing the first uh, renderings of the 501s, like almost a year and a half ago, I was like, that's worth waiting for. Yeah. It's different, you yeah. know, and it's, it's cool. And it, I knew the market was very like ready for something like that. Yeah. Simplified, clean design, well-designed and well-made yeah. with a good brand behind it. Yeah. And with the, the sort of legacy of race line wheels and, and their history in the wheel industry. Yeah. And how long have they been in business now? Like 95 but before that allied wheel was the family business and they go back to the original steel wheel days, which we still do in house. Yeah. I have a set of all uh, allied wheels I yeah. think, on the trailer. Yeah. I'm not sure. So, but yeah, that's, that's cool. I want to, I hope this was helpful, dude. Like I want to be able to give some form of stoke back to the brand as I've been super stoked off of the brand so far, but what's some good closing thoughts, whether it's partnerships or your screen printing days, when you're 18 and moving to Big Bear, like wild <laughs> thoughts. What's some good closing thoughts for you? Closing thoughts? I don't know. Um, I think that like mostly just stoked to have a wheel company that is designed and built for this market. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to sell race car wheels or, you know, 22 inch billet wheel. Like we yeah. don't have to cover all those bases. Yeah. So that allows us to focus all of our energy our budgets, our marketing, our partnerships, everything into this community, which is cool. And yeah. same with wheel designs. Like we don't have to compromise. We don't have to put together a wheel with a simulated beadlock because that's what people in Nebraska buy, mm-hmm. you know, for their huge mudding trucks or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to do that because we're making wheels for this style vehicle very focused yeah which happens to be anything from a subaru to a sprinter to a tacoma yep to vintage you know broncos and scouts and all that stuff jeeps i love that stuff so it's sort of in my opinion it's it's the coolest parts of the off-road vehicle industry Uh uh-huh and that's what we're focusing on and obviously that lends itself to overlanding but it's more so just like clean classic aesthetics no logos. Yeah. I mean, center cap has the logo. If you don't want to run a logo, take it off, take it off. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, just being in business for so long and especially you've been in business for so long, but the moment you focus and it's very streamlined of like what you're doing and who you're serving, man, you can go so much harder on marketing. Yeah. So much more energy on like one campaign, one project. Yeah. Cause you're not, you have your, you have your blinders on, you know? Yeah. Well, and this would have had to be like, a like race line overlanding thing. Like that if we tried to rough. do it under race line, uh-uh. it would have had like a, a, an eighth of the, you know, marketing and, and placement. It would have literally said race line overland. Yeah. Which it is wouldn't work. It would have been so bad. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, race line covers everything that nomad isn't. Yeah. It dominates the beadlock world. It dominates, you know, trophy truck, Baja racing. It dominates rock crawling. And um, I'm sure a bunch of other stuff that I don't know about, but mm-hmm. like, Raceline caters to all that stuff. And this yeah. is the one area Raceline wasn't super successful in. Yeah. Because it's newer. Yeah. And they were smart and they jumped on it. Yeah. They were like, let's bring someone in to help out run the brand that gets to that community. And yeah. And is maybe a little bit more, you know, focused on the marketing and all that good stuff. And the, the branding's good. I think I, we've talked about that many times with other people on this episode or this podcast. So just like, it's really hard and you don't want to pigeonhole yourself. If I was going back when I started and said easy overlanding, like you just immediately pigeonholed yourself yeah. to what you can be. If it said nomad overland, it's just, you'd start pigeon, pigeonholing. There's already 15 of those. Yeah, there is <laughs> <laughs> probably, huh? We got, uh, we got lots of nomad collabs coming up. 
<laughs> I did see a couple at Expo. Um, okay, so that's nomadwheels.com. Nomadwheels.com. At nomadwheel. That's singular. singular. Um, you can follow Carter. It's he just. You can get a, a, a complete sense of his artistic abilities, and then he also posts some work stuff too. And that's just Carter underscore Kendall, right? Uh, Carter no, underscore PDF. PDF. You know, yeah, it's PDF. Uh, yeah, I've gone through JPEG, PNG, now on PDF. That's awesome. Different renditions. No idea why. I'm stoked, man. I'm stoked on the friendship. That was a fun time we had at Expo. Yeah. Got a little sendy. Got a little. Got some work done, and and just had fun with it. Yep. What? Are, where are we going next? Uh, Overland Expo Pacific Northwest. Let's go. What, yep. When is that? July. Just July 8th to 10th. And just booked that spot, didn't just you? Just booked our booth location. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> we got a sick spot. It's Friday. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Let's go. Where are we going? I don't know yet. I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. You are, huh? You're yeah, tired. So so. All right, Carter. Appreciate the time, dude. Appreciate, appreciate it. Load the truck and hit the road. All in is our home.